Hi, everybody. Uh, David Knorr, I want to welcome you back to another episode of our Curvebenders podcast, actually the final episode of this podcast series. So uh, Merry Christmas, uh, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to you. Hope it's a uh, relaxing, enjoyable break uh, with you and your loved ones. Uh, I wanted to, uh, number one, just thank you for those of you that have followed me, my work, uh, and this Curvebenders book uh, journey. Uh, no, it's not the end by any means, but I'm a big believer of a natural progression of ideas, of a, of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And the end is really an evolution. An end is really a transformation of an idea. And I've always said I learn as much, if not more, uh, you know, about my books, about my topics after they're published because others will read them and they want to share their ideas, their perspectives. Uh, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student of business relationships, and I continue to collect great stories, great ideas, great examples and perspectives of, of the topics that I'm passionate about, uh, you know, business relationships, uh, real and lasting change, uh, real innovation, uh, and really thinking and leading differently. So uh, we're live on LinkedIn and Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. Uh, Jay Anna Hill, glad you're here. Welcome from Ro Red Oak, North Carolina. Happy holidays to you. Um, again, uh, so number one, gratitude. Enormous amount of gratitude for those who are interested in my work, follow my work, read our blog, our members are our forum, and have off and on have watched or listened to these live streams. And we also, I also repurpose these into podcasts, and you can consume that wherever you get podcasts. So as I mentioned, uh, this is the final episode of Curvebenders. I actually started it several years ago, even before the book came out. Uh, and the intent was to share ideas uh, from not just me, but individuals that I liked and respected and trusted and, and got a lot of great value from. And if you haven't had a chance, uh, norgroup.com slash podcast uh, is our uh, landing page and we can find all the previous episodes. And my gosh, I've had some incredible guests, uh, Rita McGrath and Alex Osterwalder and all kinds of Marshall Goldsmith, MG100 colleagues, Thinkers50 colleagues, executive clients joined um, uh, and shared their wisdom. And we really brought this idea of strategic relationships that change both your direction and ultimate destination. Those are the ones I call curve benders to life during, uh, I think, almost 85, 86 episodes uh, of, of this, of this, on this topic. So for this last one, uh, on this last week of, of 2022, uh, I wanted to share uh, some ideas and perspectives that, that I've been thinking about, that I'm writing about, uh, as we kind of, again, transition one idea to the next. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. And um, what I'm hoping you'll see, what I'm hoping you'll take away from uh, this session is really what I call kind of 10 attributes to success in this next year. Uh, by the way, uh, you know, this is live. I encourage you to jump in with your questions, comments, those of you that might be working, those of you that might be watching this live. If not, you can also catch the recording of it, and you can always reach me through any of these channels. Um, but I really want to uh, 
give you a glimpse into, again, some things I'm thinking about, some topics. I'm having some great conversations with executives around that I believe will lead you and your team to great success this next year, despite of geopolitical challenges, uh, elections, the economy, inflationary pressures, recession, all those things aside, which, I, you know, none of us are the Fed chair, uh, and we don't have a control a lot of over a lot of those things. So I'm a big believer of don't get distracted. Focus on the things you can control. And I think every one of the 10 that I'm going to share with you are going to be absolutely things that are within your control. So just a quick recap. Um, I like to call uh, my recent work, my Star Wars trilogy. Uh, if you haven't seen these relationship economics, uh, and I'll talk more about that coming out in entirely completely rewritten, entirely new third edition this next February. Most recently, I published Curve Benders, and uh, and of course, you know the co-create book has also been around for a couple of years. Just like Star Wars, if you think of episode, uh, you know, I don't know, um, you know, if you think about four, five, six, uh, you'll get to know Luke Skywalker if you watch any of them as as independent, you know, movies. You'll just get to know him a lot better if you see the series. So every one of these books, in some shape, fashion, obviously focuses on my my passion which is strategic relationships. Combined, they really create a stair-step approach in how you can become more intentional, uh, more strategic, more quantifiable in the relationships you choose to invest in. And to set the stage for this, this series, I want you to think of the most recent kind of the World Cup. If you watched it, if you followed it, if you follow soccer, or actually any of these real-time highly interactive, engaging sports, soccer, hockey, lacrosse. If you've played any of these or maybe your kids have played any of these, I think this comment will resonate with you that most people would agree that 90% of these games are played when you don't have the ball or the puck. And by that, I mean, if you think about whether it's Argentina or any of the other teams that, that played in the tournament, the best teams are comprised of individual players who are always thinking, where should I be? What should I be doing? How do I best prepare? How do I best put myself and my team in a position so when we do get the ball or the puck, we can create opportunities? I want you to see that pitch. I want you to see that that hockey rink, that ice. I want you to see that field as the market. And as we go into 2023, where should you be? What should you be doing? How do you put yourself and your team in the best possible position so when you do get opportunities, you can maximize those? I played soccer. I coached soccer for a number of years. And I caught, you know, I taught every team I ever coached, this game is about possession. This game is about creating opportunities from those possessions and shots on goal, Right. It's about, there's a lot of nuances to it, like touch and, and formation and, and really, you know, playing, you know, a great all-around game. But in essence, it's about possession and opportunities and shots on goal. So, again, I want you to think about, internalize that concept for a second. What skills do you need? What skills do you need to apply to gain the knowledge? What behaviors do you need to modify going into this next year to best position yourself, your team, your organization 
So when you do get opportunities, you can maximize those. You can make the most out of those. Um, in tight economic markets, most of us will get fewer opportunities. You, you, you'll see fewer jobs. Uh, if you're in sales or marketing, you'll see fewer opportunities. People tend to hunker down and spend less and you know, pay attention to new entrants less. And we'll kind of become a really comfortable with, with the known entities in our lives, not necessarily exploring. So you're going to get fewer opportunities. How do we maximize those? How do we get the most out of those contacts, out of those relationships, out of those opportunities? I'm blessed that in the last 20 years of this business, we've worked with some incredible clients and client companies. And, and one thing I've learned from all of them is, you know, we all see changes. We all see trends. We all see change in many ways coming. We've got to get beyond intellectually understanding change to really acting on it, to really thinking much more proactively. Um, this isn't the George Foreman grill of set it and forget it. Our personal and professional growth, the growth of our team, the growth of our organization has to be proactive, has to be intentional, has to be strategic. And we're going to talk more about some of these. So if you're new to Curve Vendors or you haven't read the book or you don't know anything about me and you just stumbled on this session, um, for the last couple of years, I've been talking a lot about 15 forces that we believe and our research shows that are going to continue to disrupt the way we work, the way we live, the way we play, and the way we give to uh, you know others. There are some that are dead smack in the middle of that bullseye. Those are personal. Those are very much within our immediate and direct control. Uh, grit, your mindset, your relationship strategies, just some of the examples. Diversifying your portfolio of relationships, your revenue sources, visualizing a very different path forward. There are some that are organizational, kind of the next ring, like strategy, like structure, like resources. There are some that are industry. If you think of trade associations or an ecosystem that you function within or collaboration across different companies or industries. And then the fourth group is really transitionary, which kind of cut across all those things like technology and economy. So these forces, and again, if you think about the global pandemic the last several years, which by the way is still going on, it's an example of black swan event, top right corner, number 14. We kind of knew what pandemics were. We knew they were going to happen. That happened before. We just had no idea the impact of it in our in every facet of our lives. Most leaders I interact with don't believe that pandemic will be the last major disruption we're going to face. What if the next one is a natural disaster? What if the next one is cybersecurity? How will that have a ripple effect in every aspect of our lives? So with that context, with these forces that are constantly creating, not necessarily all bad, but they're going to create headwind, they're going to create tailwind, and they're going to create some potential turbulence. How will you remain relevant? Now, in, in many of my books, most of my work, I still love to have Sharpies around here and, and just white paper or pads, and I just kind of start to sketch ideas. And I've been thinking a lot about, and particularly for this book, I thought a lot about the S-curve. A lot of organizations implement an S-curve where they're constantly reinventing or they're evolving their product portfolio, their strategies, their go-to-market strategies. And I thought a lot about our personal S-curves. Um, you know, a lot of other folks have written extensively about your personal S-curve. Whitney Johnson is a 
MG100 and Thinker's 50 friend and a colleague. She's written a book about this and several other people talk about it as well. So I started thinking about the arc of any job being about three to five years. Think about it. In any job, three to five years, you've pretty much figured out how to do the job. So if you think about it, initially you invest. You're investing resources like time and capability and capital. And then you kind of go to step two, which is you hit your stride. That's about execution. It's about application, implementation. It's not all gonna, it's always going to go well. So there's some learning moments. You start to go to step three, which is you excel. You really become competent and capable. And this is where the red flag should kind of appear because a lot of times at that at that arc, at that, you know, when things are going great, that's when we have the potential of reaching step four, which is our plateau. And I just wrote the plateau, you're bored. You know it. Everybody else knows it. Everybody you work with knows it. You've kind of, the job is an autopilot. You kind of, and my litmus test for that is the snooze button, right? If you hit the snooze button five, six, seven, eight times, you're just not that excited about getting up and tackling the day. Conversely, if you're up before the day begins, you're excited. You're, you want to tackle. You want to, you know, you're looking forward to the challenges and opportunities. At that, at that point, at that really the top of that, that plateau, if you choose to do nothing, you'll reach step five, which is really decline. And I've recorded, you know, sessions on this, and and this is the genesis of some of the ideas of this idea of a linear versus non-linear growth. So linear growth in the book I talk about is that 45-degree truck ramp, right? Steady as she goes. For many of us, it's our undergraduate study. I don't know about you, but it's been a while since I've, you know, looked back at differential calculus. Non-linear growth is what I think we need much more of moving forward. Uh, relevant, immediate. I don't need a four-year degree from MIT if I just want to code. There's a lot of free resources that are available that I can learn the basics of what I need within 30 days. There's also a big movement of the no-code or low-code, very modular to start putting these libraries together. So how do I identify a relevant problem, go get the immediate, relevant, accelerated learning that I need, solve that problem, tackle the next one. That's an example of nonlinear growth that I talk extensively about the book. The key is to identify what I call that refraction point, that plateau where you've you've reached that that kind of plateau of that role. It could be in, in the function, it could be with the team, it could be in the organization, it could be in the industry, but you got to identify it quickly. And at that point, as I said, You've got three options and three options only. If you've invested in that personal, if you continue to invest in your personal professional growth, you ideally kind of jump on the next S curve and you get option A here, that accelerated climb. Option two is what I call static recalibration, which is somebody kind of jolting some excitement in the job that you're doing now. Maybe you know, adding additional responsibilities. Maybe it's a new geography or new territory or new function. Uh, several companies have a mandatory rotation program for kind of the general managers they want to develop. Marriott comes to mind. But it's basically recalibrating your focus on, on that role. Option three, unfortunately, or C in this case, is this unfortunate fall off. That's that decline. That's that, you know, you start to wing it. You start to just kind of get by. You start to think about how do I do the, you know, if you're not saying it, you're certainly thinking it and your work shows it. How do I do the minimum amount of work to kind of get by? 
and it's dangerous because this is when mistakes happen. This is when you're not at your best. This is when you become complacent. This is when you're not really showing up at your best consistently. So if you remember that one of the first physics classes you took, if you remember shining a light through a, a glass of water, what happened with the light was it, it actually accelerated through that water and it gave you the rainbow or a prism. It's another way to remember that class. It bends. The light actually bends and it gives you options. Well, my assertion is curve benders, these relationships in your life can do the exact same thing. Not only help you accelerate through that difficult time, challenging time, uncertain time, but also help you see different options, kind of refract your lens and see other options that you may have not thought of before. Um, so in the book, um, you know, I give you seven steps to how to identify curve benders in your life from, you know, your personal foundation to a professional commitment. How do you become a catalyst or identify a catalyst in your in your work and in your life? Then, you know, immersive inquiry, jumping in feet first and both feet to really learn about where you're trying to get to. Strategic relationships that become a big asset to you in an agile way, executing on, on your plan, on their recommendations, suggestions. And then connection cadence kind of brings you back to, to those relationships and kind of becomes a loop from seven back to five, six, seven, and you repeat the process. And this journey is a fantastic opportunity to take a few relationships and really elevate them to a very different level. So in the book, I talk about these S curves are going to become shorter. They're going to happen more often. And the key is going to be for you to start identifying and really anticipating those refraction points much earlier, much sooner in the process. So let me pause, uh, see if any questions or comments. Um, what I've done so far is just kind of shared some of the nuggets from the Curve Benders book for those that may not have read it or seen any of the, the previous material. And what I want to do now is really shift to the core focus of the session, which is the 10 series. So let me again share my screen and I'll talk about how I kind of arrived at this, at this point. Uh, so I've been thinking about this idea for years, and luckily uh, we were able to, this past October, put together something I called the, the Relationship Economics Summit. And it was a gathering of senior executive clients, partners, friends. There were unfortunately a lot of, a lot of executives who had conflicts who couldn't able to join us or weren't able to join us. And it was a fantastic gathering because not only you're personally connected and, and we spent some time socializing as well. And, um, but, I, but I really did what I love doing, which is I brought some really interesting folks together and I sat them next to each other and, and had them from very broad spectrum of industries share the challenges and opportunities. And I think the intimacy of this gathering, this, this wasn't a 500 anything. Um, it was more of a micro event. And I think the intimacy of these types of events really allows executives from very different industries to do just that openly share there was no recording of it there was no press there there was nobody you know yeah hopefully you had to feel like you had to impress so to have you know the the second you know executives from the second largest travel company in, in the u.s talk to executives from a cybersecurity company 
or the second largest wine producer, talk to an industrial manufacturer or board members, talk to marketing executives and chief revenue officers, talk to CFOs, really gave the attendees a very different perspective and a very different lens. And this is something we're repeating again this October. I'm really excited about, you know, expanding uh, the, the attendees to also the next generation of leaders that are that are able to join us. Uh, but this really became a catalyst. This became some great conversations, some really rich conversations came out of there. And I've continued those. So this was in October and um, I didn't want to stop. Uh, this was, you know, three days and and I wanted to continue those rich conversations. So I started reaching out to other clients who couldn't make it. And in the last uh, several months, I've had almost 100 conversations with senior executives, specifically around their success this past year, what the concerns are going into this next year, and what they believe that I've then turned into these 10 attributes it's going to take to succeed this next year. Now, some of these are going to be Pretty obvious. Other ones are going to take a little bit of a, 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 a you know double click or drill down and unpacking of. But I wanted to give you a taste of kind of again what I'm thinking about and the conversations I'm having with with the executives that I'm interacting with. So number one is this idea of internal positioning or intentional positioning. Um, I, I read several years ago. Inner brand is one of my favorite uh, sources of just great marketing strategy, great marketing insights, and they, they had a, a, a really interesting piece about the end of branding and really the, the beginning of what they call iconic mo you know, moments. And, and they, they really talked about iconic moments as very intentional positioning. Uh, and, if, and, and the example that I, that I distinctly remember and I use in my keynotes is if you think of an Amazon. And if you look at Amazon's growth trajectory uh, over the last decade, several iconic moments have contributed to their value creation from, um, you know, their, their uh, electronic readers. I mean, these people, you know, the goal was to put, you know, the traditional or antiquated physical book selling out of business. And, and, and when you come out with your own electronic, not, not, not adapt books to existing readers, but come out with your own Kindle. And it's your own electronic kind of uh, book, electronic reader. That's an iconic moment. Um, then you can look into Alexa and the whole voice technology that they've expanded to, you know, greatly. Uh, go a little bit further, Prime, you know, Prime membership. Uh, and most of us who are Prime members don't think twice about renewing our Prime membership because of the added value or the bundling of that added value. Certainly last but not least, you know, Amazon's acquisition of, of, you know, groceries. And you would think, you know, what, what's the value of that? Well, a lot of the products we may buy on Amazon today are just not sticky. I, I don't need, you know, books necessarily every day, or I don't need, you know, highlighters or things that I buy periodically, but groceries are sticky and, and it's a chance to come back. So their acquisition of Whole Foods was all about how do we increase um, the interaction? How do we, you know, gain more insights, data-driven insights into, into the customer? So this next year, you're going to have to come to terms with the fact that 
as an as a as an individual, as a team, as an organization, um, you're not right for everybody. Everybody's not your cup of tea. This idea of cast the massive net and throw up a whole bunch of stuff on a wall and see what sticks, I, I think it's I think it's it's wasted resources that you don't have. And so how do you become more intentional about your positioning? How do you become more intentional about dating the right people, the right managers, the right leaders, the right customers, the right partners, the right investors? That's all about intentional positioning. And that intentionality, if you think about the, the soccer field and the question I ask, where should you be? What should you be doing? You have to intentionally decide that's 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 the part of the field I want to be at. That's where I'm going to move to. As the play is developing, as the play is evolving, as my teammates evolve, where should I be? Where do I intentionally want to go? And that intentional positioning, we believe you need to do as an organization. For some, that's account-based management. For others, it's I'm going to acquire a very specific skill to go deeper into this function. For others yet, it's how do we package our services and, and white label this? So sell it through others. So really develop our channel. For others, it's global markets. And um, I had breakfast with a really good friend who runs a, you know about a 10 12 billion dollar global business and and the growth markets are not US and it's not UK and Europe it's Asia and it's really those evolving markets that that's great for them so that's about intentionality how do we position ourselves very intentionally about who we are what we do where our focus is and by the way that intentionality should also be guardrails against getting distracted. So not getting distracted by shiny new objects that come your way or, ooh, look at that tantalizing new job that I may, you know, go there and hate the company or hate the culture or not, you know, I don't want to move. I think the idea of work-life blending that I wrote about in Curvebenders became front and center for many of us in the post-pandemic world. I I don't want to go back to the 60, 80-hour week grind. I really want a company that values all of me and and including kind of this idea of work-life blending. How do I integrate what I love doing with what I want to do um, and, and really create, still create value for the team and organizations that I work with? So number one for leaders and their teams and organizations to succeed in 23 is intentional positioning. Number two, consistent customer acquisition. Um I don't know of an organization that doesn't need fresh customers, net new customers, net new opportunities. Yet, you have to take care of your existing customers first. And by the way, I'm, I'm, you know, we're practicing many of these things ourselves. Our small team is growing. And, and we figured out of all the work we've done over the years, intelligent, profitable growth is our positioning. That's what we're going to go after much more aggressively. And in terms of you know, going back and touching base with some customers that we haven't worked with in a while, but being very intentional about both taking care of existing customers, but also very consistent in how we acquired net new customers. And it goes back to that intentional positioning. If, if uh, you know, if you've heard of some organizations talk about ideal customer profiles. I actually take that step one, you know, one step further. I talk about intentional, you know, ideal relationship profiles. 
is this a relationship you want to get in with for not just a short-term transaction, but the longer-term material impact in your business? If not, disengage early because that's going to take your eye off the ball and the focus from those that do like you, that do get your value, that do want to work with you, that do need your help, that you don't have to chase to return calls and emails. So that consistent customer acquisition is also systems thinking and processes and intentionality about who's the right fit for us, how will we go pursue those opportunities, how we make sure we're consistent and how we acquire, how we retain great customers. Number three, relentless execution. Um, I, I, I often use this example of having spoken with an executive who, in our conversation, I said, well, tell me about your priorities. And he said, well, we got 69 priorities. And I said, respectfully, you have no priorities. So this is all about how do we do fewer things exceptionally well? Let me say it again. How do we do fewer things exceptionally well? So relentless execution is not an individual. It's fundamentally the team. It's, it's it, the vision. The path has to be crystal clear by the leader. You've got to get buy-in from everybody on the team. What are the few things we're going to do exceptionally well? What are the few things we're going to go do phenomenally well? What are the you know T's we're going to cross and I's we're going to dot? Again, fewer things. You don't need initiative fatigue. You don't need 75 things from corporate and field. And how do we do fewer things exceptionally well? You got limited bandwidth. You got limited resources. You've got shortening attention spans. You've got, I mean, just all kinds of headwind. How do we do fewer things exceptionally well? So relentless execution is just that. Narrowing the list. You know, right now, a lot of us are making New Year's resolutions and to-do lists and all the phenomenal things we want to tackle. I would encourage you to cut that list in half and do fewer things and do them exceptionally well. Actionable metrics. Uh, I see a lot of metrics in organizations. A lot of them are phenomenal. The problem is they're not believed, believed or believable. So believability of it. Uh, number two, they're not actionable. Number three, we sell them, come back to them and see, in fact, did the levers that we took action on make the desired changes create the desired impact. So actionable metrics is all about the viability of that data. Is it believable? Is it complete? Is it holistic? Does it give us, does it help us get our finger on the pulse of the business? What actions can we take from those metrics? So the information itself is what? I often ask, well, so what? What, what does that really mean? And then now what? What should we do about it? And then you have to make time to come back and see, did the levers kind of make a difference? Going back to the soccer field, if I went to that part of the field because of what I saw, how I saw the play developing, and the ball came to me and I either made a great play or not such a great play, I have to quickly figure out what worked in that scenario and what didn't. So next time, I'm not going to go in that corner I'm going to go a different space. Or next time I'm not going to make that pass, I'm going to make a different pass. I'm going to switch fields instead. Actionable metrics 
believable information that we can take action on and then really make the time to come back and see if those levers, if the changes we made created any kind of a real impact. Profitable scaling. Uh, every executive I meet, every client we work with wants more. More clients, more partners, more, more. I want I want more offices, more, right? We want more. We want more channel partners talking about us. And that's great. At what cost? So I, I, I love scalable businesses. I love intelligent scale. I love profitable scale. I, I, I was president of a company during the last recession. And I learned, or the dot-com bubble, and I, I learned a very painful lesson that you cannot buy something for $2, sell it for a dollar, and make it up on volume. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense. And yet, you see that kind of mindset. You see that kind of behavior amongst leaders and leadership teams and organizations all the time. So profitable scaling is all about do we have the right plan? Do we have the right process? Do we have the right systems in place? Not to scale, just scale, or scale at any cost, but scale profitably. Uh, next, adaptable leadership. If we haven't learned anything in the last three years of this global pandemic, we, we've better have learned the need to adapt. And adaptable leadership, again, I, I tend to think tend, tend to think in threes. One is those signal scouts, those relationships in the market that can identify key trends. Two, some sort of a collection mechanism. What's what's happening? Which of these trends are fads and they're going to come and go? Which ones are going to potentially impact our business? And then the ability, the willingness and ability to move. Your, your feet can't be in cement. That whole adaptable leadership is, again, going back to the soccer field, you see the play developing. You see the play evolving. Don't you can't just stand there and be a spectator. Otherwise, you know, get in the stands. If you're going to be in the field, if you're going to be in the arena, you got to adapt. You got to move. Another good analogy I often use is if you remember playing dodgeball as kids, if a ball was coming at you, most of us didn't just stand there. What did you do? You pivoted. You moved. So this next year, again, as trends, as disruptions as headwind as obstacles as you start to see them so how can you extend your line of sight i call those again signal scouts relationships that can bring those valuable signals to you how can you have a collection mechanism and, an, and some sort of a quick analysis to figure out is this a fad is this going to come and go um clubhouse right uh, great idea it just seemed to have puttered out um, you know, I still think, you know, audios and, and, and group conversations are invaluable, but that platform, there was a whole bunch of excitement around it. I haven't, you don't hear as much about it, you know, recently. And then how do we adapt? How do we either test it? How do we have an answer to it or response to it? How do we ensure we're best positioned to succeed regardless of, uh, whether it's a headwind, tailwind, or turbulence. Seven, resilient team health. I can't emphasize this enough because it really points to the intellectual, the emotional, uh, the relational maturity of a leader. So you have to understand 
that in 2023 and beyond, that team health is critical. That's mental health because burnout, we all know, is real. The focus on bringing, you know, helping them bring the best version of themselves to work, redefining work, reimagining work, rethinking impact of the work. As long as I can remember, I've never been a big fan of just busy work. Let's just do it for sake of doing it versus why are we doing it? And is there a better way? Is there a different way? Um, our team, as, as, as we build our young team, I, I realize they have a life beyond what they do with, with me and with us. So making sure you respect that, making sure you honor that. Somebody says, you know what? I'm taking some time off and I'm going to be with my family. I'm not emailing them. I'm not calling them, leaving them alone to really focus on refilling their cup. Uh, so, so again, building resilience in the team, but also ensuring that you've got your finger on the pulse of the team health is going to be critical. This also goes back to uh, hiring. Um, we're actively growing our team. I'm interviewing key members who could join us. And we've narrowed, you know, the field down to a few. And and I was really excited about a candidate. And our team spoke to this person. And I, I came back around. And the comments were, well, you know, she didn't really knock my socks off. Or not sure, you know, she's willing to do this, this, and this. And on a scale of 1 to 10, I got 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10. And my comment back to team was, I, I don't want to, I don't want to settle. I, I don't want less than great people joining us because in a small team, there's no place for you to hide and everybody contributes. And when somebody doesn't pull their weight, it kind of has a ripple effect on the rest of the team. You know that. And respectfully, I don't, I don't want to be in the babysitting business and I'm coaching leaders. The more you interview adults, expect adulting behaviors, pay them like adults, take care of them like adults, the sooner you get out of babysitting. And I, I don't want to babysit anybody. So understanding the different dynamics of that team health are going to be critical. Um, frictionless technology and systems. Listen, I, I, I distinctly remember one of my first jobs, co-op job at IBM, working on mainframes. And I'm dating myself because I've been around technology for a long time. And I'm a huge fan of not just the technology itself and systems, but really the business benefits, the business impact of technology and systems. But just like earlier, when I talked about profitable scaling, uh, regrettably, some leaders implement technology and systems for the sake of, hey, we've got the latest whiz bang, whatever. If 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 it forces everybody to eat like this, it's it's not it's not worth it. It could be brilliant, but if it creates friction, if it creates um, just discomfort. If it creates an ability to get the work done, because I can't find this or access that or bring this in or that part or none of this is talking to each other. I mean, that's just all creates, again, that the best way I could describe it is friction. So you need this next year frictionless technology and systems. And the best way I know how to do that is remove complexity, remove complexity and integration, remove you do not need 80 different platforms to do the job. So how do we, again, going back to how do we do more with less? 
most of us are not using most of what the technology that's at our disposal is capable of. So how do we get better at? How do we invest in? How do we double down on fewer tools and technologies and making sure they all work together versus yet adding another five or eight? And by the way, technology friends and colleagues and partners and customers who fall in love with their own technology get blinders on when it comes to what kind of friction are you creating for employees? What kind of friction are you creating for partners? What kind of friction are you creating for end customers? And they're not quite thinking about it in those in those terms in that manner. So a big fan of frictionless technology and systems. Nine, defensible profitability. I said profitable scale earlier, but I want you to think about in nine and the conversation I'm having with some leaders is around COVID growth. And unfortunately, their perception that COVID growth equals forever growth. Several industries benefited from the global pandemic. Um, if you think of uh, think recreation, RVs, power sports, a um, lot of the things that we did at home. If you think about the underlying causes of that growth, we had more discretionary income. We had fewer options, choices. So we bought that RV as an example. Well, that RV is now sitting in my driveway. And every time the wife goes by it, she's asking, you're not using that, that thing. When are you going to sell it? Same thing with the power sports or the motorcycle or ATV or the boat or any of this other stuff. So the growth that those industries really enjoyed during the pandemic will not is not sustainable, will not continue. It's not forever growth. As a matter of fact, I would submit that if you don't understand why you're profitable, how you're profitable, what is most profitable? So if it's not defensible profitability, you're going to confuse root cause with trends, with material impact that has nothing to do with your own doing. So this is the time to ask some tough questions. How is our product portfolio doing? How is our SGNA performing? What's working? What's not working? In our best deals, in our worst deals, in our most profitable work, in our least profitable work, not just what's happening, but why? And how do we learn from those? So only when your profitability is defensible will you be able to documented, capture it, repeat it, ideally make it more predictable. Those are the things that are going to lead, I believe, to greater success this next year. Last but not least, real and paying innovation. Again, I, I love innovation. I, I work with clients on their innovation efforts, whether it's a product, a process, a business model, pie in the sky stuff. Innovation has become this catch-all bucket. Every executive's pet project suddenly is an innovation project. And I just don't, I don't see it as, as, as real or paying. Why are we doing this? How are we doing it? A, a good friend, Eric McCarthy, often talks about, uh, and our summit, he talked about this idea of power of deduction and zero basing everything. If you don't know what zero base costing is, is you have a million dollar budget this year. Most organizations say, well, let's just go to 1.2 next year versus no, 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 no. We're going to go back to zero and we're going to justify every investment. And we're going to figure out why are we investing in the things we're investing in. So 
we're all very good at adding. We, we want innovation. We want great innovation. We want, is it real? And will it, will it, is anybody, are, are we, are we creating solutions looking for problems or are we actually solving problems that people a have B are willing and able to pay for? Otherwise, again, it becomes every leader's pet project and it goes nowhere. And this impacts lives. If you look at a lot of the tech companies, they, they got kind of fat because they, they saw the good times. They believed the good times were going to keep rolling. And they added a lot of, right, a lot of people working on really interesting projects that they couldn't defend and wasn't real or wasn't going to go anywhere or wasn't going to be paying or wasn't going to make any difference, product, process, or business model. So if it's not real, if it's not paying, and by that I mean market validation, the only market validation I learned is from startups is, is paying customers. If somebody doesn't have the problem that we're trying to solve and they're not willing or able to pay for it, why are we doing it? So... Here are 10 attributes. Again, uh, great conversations. Uh, I'm going to pause here for a second. Great discussions, great uh, insights from executives. I've, I've had these conversations with about what will it take for you to succeed as, as an individual leader, as a team, as an organization this next year. That list of 10 is what they've come up with. I'll also post that list of 10 in our forum uh, but I want you to jump in. I want you to come back with questions or comments that, that might be useful. So so uh, just to kind of wrap up our, our conversations here and wrap up our discussions, um, what's really important is you take, whether it's you know, insights from this or any other insights that you kind of listen to, uh, and really come up with your own personal 30, 60, 90-day plan. Ideal if you kind of take key takeaways from what I've shared today, your own observations, your own conversations with others, kind of really focus on individual behaviors. Most leaders I've worked with already possess the skills, already possess the knowledge from the application of those skills. It's typically behaviors they need to change. And if you think about behavior change, which is a lot of what I coach, it's never a switch. It's often a dial. What do you need to dial up? What do you need to dial back? How will you really intentionally focus on the best version of you this next year? And, and more importantly, who's going to hold you accountable? If you, don't, if you don't have a coach, get one. It could be an internal one. It could be an external one. But I think one of the best things coaches do is hold you accountable. For last time we spoke, and this is kind of what I try to do with folks I'm working with, you said you were going to do these things. If you did them, how did they go? If you didn't do them, what has to happen for you to do them, for you to take that initiative and do them? And I like 30, 60, 90 because it breaks down big ideas, big vision, big direction, big here's what we're going to go do into tactic, you know, tactically what do I need to break it down and how do I make these actionable? So I'm hoping not only this has been interesting, but you'll take it and actually do something with it. I hope you also will continue the conversation. Uh, you may have heard you can scan that 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 barcode uh, if you're watching or just go to norgroup.com slash forum. Uh, this, again, is another trend we saw several years ago where, unfortunately, 
you know, the big public social networks have increasingly become very promotional, very, you know, political, you know, political and, and as such polarizing. So I, I belong to now four or five of these private online communities. And just like your favorite baker or butcher or deli, you're not going there to have the tires changed on your car. You're going there for a very specific reason. So in the North Forum, I talk about relationships. I talk about real change and lasting change. I talk about real innovation. Increasingly, we're going to talk about profitable and intelligent growth. So I hope you'll come and join us. Uh, come to norgroup.com slash forum where you can get unique content, access to unique events and resources. And we're going to increasingly do more of that this next year. Uh, I would also remiss if I didn't bring you a, a word from our sponsor. As I said earlier, the Relationship Economics book is launching uh, February 14 of this new year. Uh, we have a promotion going on. If you pre-order it from your favorite retailer uh, this this next month, I'll send you a signed copy of Curvebenders or Co-Create without compliments. So just scan that QR code and you can go and, and again, just pre-order Relationship Economics from wherever you order books, wherever you get them from. And uh, if you can just order, you know, add your order number, we'll, uh, we'll send you a signed copy of one of the other books to help complete your, your learning and growth. I also hope you'll save the date. We have two events coming up. If you're physically in Atlanta or can get to Atlanta on February 13th, on Monday, February 13th, we're doing an in-person book launch party uh, very close to our office is the Atlanta Tech Village. Uh, and in their lobby, I think we'll get about 100, 150 of our friends together for good food, good drinks, some words of wisdom, uh, some swag, some giveaways. More importantly, just kind of come together and uh, practice what I've been an advocate of now, crazy to believe, for 20 years. Uh, if you're not able to join us in person the following day, uh, I am not creating a conflict with people's romantic aspirations the next evening. So during the day, February 14th, Tuesday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., we'll do a, a virtual book launch. I'm inviting senior executive clients, friends, partners. Uh, I'll open us up at 9. I'll wrap it up at 4. But in between, on the hour, every hour, uh, we'll do a live stream like this with a senior executive. Uh, all the information and chance for you to register is in our, is in our uh, community, norgroup.com slash forum. So keep an eye out for more details in the coming days and weeks. We'll share in our newsletter and uh, various email outreaches. We'll share more details of these things. Again, I hope you'll mark the date February 13th and 14th for our um, Relationship Economics 3rd Edition, all new rewritten launches next February book launch. As I mentioned, this is the final episode of the Curvebenders podcast. It's been a, a great run for, for several years. Uh, but as one, one kind of ends, the next one begins. So we're launching a, a new intelligent growth live stream each Tuesday, noon Eastern. Very similar to this live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, beginning on January 3rd. We're going to focus on, on really strategies for intelligent and profitable growth. You'll hear more about our RevOps practice. You'll hear more about our BizOps uh, practice that we're launching. And the focus is just that. How do we 
become more intentional? How do we implement these 10 attributes that I shared with you this year, as well as bring the right frictionless systems and technology and systems thinking to growth to really ensure it's intelligent, it's profitable, it's consistent, it's predictable, and the entire team gets behind it, not just a functional role. I'm going to use case studies. We'll use examples. We'll have guests. More importantly, we want to create actionable insights from each of these in terms of assets that you can pick up in the forum. Again, we're going to focus on intelligent and profitable growth this next year. And my business partner, Jen Cords, is going to join me or we'll tag team different weeks as, as we both travel uh, to ensure we keep going with this new approach, this new idea. So I hope you'll join us again. Mark your calendar Tuesdays, noon Eastern on various uh, live streams on various channels. Let me pause here and let you read this. I believe the best version of all of us doesn't come from any kind of a calendar. You know, as, as we wrap up the year, as we talk about a new year, as I said, as we make New Year's resolutions, I don't think that's where the best version of you is going to come from. Some to-do list to I want to do more. I want to read more. I want to accomplish more. I'm going to get up and go for walks and lose weight. And all that's fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from that. But the best version of you is going to come from personal and professional growth. And that personal professional growth is a journey. And that journey begins by you looking at the world in a new way. That journey begins with you thinking and leading yourself in a new and often unconventional ways. And I would submit to you that your business relationships are your biggest asset in that personal and professional growth journey. If you don't hear anything else from me today, I hope you'll take this away, that those relationships are your biggest, single biggest, differentiated, sustainable asset. And the ones you choose to invest in are either going to propel you to greater heights or they're going to keep you down and anchor you where you are today. The choice is yours and yours alone. And just like I tell my kids, I can will something for them, but I can't do it for them. On that soccer field, on that lacrosse field, on that hockey rink, it's you becoming very intentional about the relationships you choose to invest in, about that growth journey, personal and professional growth journey you choose to invest in. On that note, there's my contact information. If there's anything I can do to help you, please reach out. You can reach out through various social media channels as well. As I mentioned, I'm incredibly excited about the year ahead. I'm excited about the opportunity for us to share all kinds of great insights from our research, from our work, from interviews, from great executives uh, that have been unbelievably unselfish of their time, of their insights to share with me and us. And we want to bring that to you. So I hope you'll join us in the forum. Again, norgroup.com slash forum. I hope you'll join Jen Cords and I for our intelligent growth live stream starting Tuesday, January 3rd. Uh, equally valuable, uh, again, February 13th and 14th are the two days of our Relationship Economics third edition book launch. And I hope either in person or uh, virtually you'll come join us. Uh, let's see. Juan, great to see you, my friend. Happy holidays to you. Joe, entirely too long. Nice to see you. Thanks for being here. 
Ali, likewise, good to see you. Um, my pleasure on the points. I hope um, these were useful to you. A lot of, lot of great folks were able to join us, and, and uh, I appreciate your comments. On that note, happy holidays to you. Uh, happy New Year. Thanks for being here. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, everybody. Take care. All the best. Bye-bye.